to, uh, after Dan was done leading us uh, in thirst, to just say, let's go, just go have coffee and take an offering. Uh, that was really, really beautiful. Thanks for that. Uh, in keeping with the theme of thirst, uh, thirst in, in so many ways is really the gateway to our own spiritual transformation. There really is no spiritual transformation in us we, without first a hunger for who God is, or at least a hunger for something different than who we are becoming that maybe at times is a bit off-putting. And uh, that thirst leads us through the gateway of spiritual transformation, which really uh, ties so beautifully with what we do today. And uh, I think as Dan was talking about, that thirst of this Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? And she comes middle of the day and finds Jesus sitting there tired and thirsty and uh, says, draw up water. And they have this whole conversation about all kinds of things, not the least of which is, he says, the water you draw, you're going to be thirsty again. But the living water I give, you'll never thirst again. Uh, he offers us that living water and we will drink deeply of it today. And in so keeping with the thirst motif, uh, we come to the finish line today of our six-week series through the book of James. And, and James, in a good number of ways over the last six weeks and four and a half chapters, we get to the end of chapter five today. And in so many ways, this journey through this letter from James, brother of Jesus, can be likened to uh, the digging of and completion of a backyard swimming pool. Uh, I'm channeling it because I would love to have one someday, and it's unlikely I ever will because all these bloody kids keep going to college um, instead of technical school where they can go make a living right away and help me. Uh, but God wires us all differently. And, and this book of James really walks us through that process that I just keep getting this imagery in chapter 1. James really begins to make the plans. And as you might do when you put in a pool, you're doing drawings and adjusting locations and where's the sun going to move throughout the day and where are the umbrellas going to be. And it's all the planning for that. In James chapter 1, he, he opens with this discussion of faith and endurance, the, the planning of what it will be like as we release our control of our own life to the care of Jesus and his will and his way. James talks faith and endurance discussions and, and the preparation, the listening and doing. Are we listening, turning our ear to God so that he can transform us? It's all this preparation. We get into chapters two and three and we begin to excavate for the pool and the, the holes being dug and old rock being ripped away. And through chapters two and three of James, James is, is really helping us tear away that which is keeping us from hearing God's voice. And I say here what I have said in so many other places that annoys most everyone I say it to, including myself. Our inability, our difficulty to hear God speak has very little, if anything, to do with God. Our difficulty in hearing God speak, our inability to hear him has almost, if not everything, to do with us. 
and the walls that we have built and the doors we have closed to him and the ways in which we've said to God, you are not allowed to speak to me through that method. You are not allowed to talk to me on that. You are not allowed to address that issue in my life. And God, being the gentleman that he is, says, have your way. And so James chapters two and three begins to excavate that away from us, inviting us to to tear away prejudice and, and tear away some of these things that get so in the way of what Christ longs to do in us and tearing away the wicked tongue and the things that we say that would not honor others or God. And then in chapter four, we begin to pour the concrete around and the gunite in the pool. And those of you who put in a pool, you're like, you're getting this all wrong, Stu. I know, I just want to know how to put a pool in. I want to swim. But chapter four is really beginning to build it. And, and this masterful part of the letter where James talks in chapter four about drawing close to God and him drawing close to us. And the concrete is being poured. And, and I say all of that as a bit of a recap, but also to say this, that we could do all the work of planning, all the careful excavation, all the perfect concrete, all the beautiful landscape and the umbrellas and the chairs and even a lovely drink with an umbrella. What a waste if we don't put water in the pool. And we get to the end of chapter five and James is like, the time is now. Let's fill the pool with water and enjoy this life with Jesus. Today, we complete our series in just a few really simple verses in chapter 5. Go there with me. Chapter 5, verse 13. He says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praise. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the earnest prayer of a righteous person has the power to produce wonderful Results. As a little guy, I learned it in Awana as uh, the, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, we open the door to transformation this day. We say we are thirsty. Some of us, like Dan, have finished a half marathon in this last week, and we cannot get enough of you. Others need to just take a sip and taste and see that you are good. And here's the beauty. You meet us right where we're at in that. Whether we are just going to taste and see that you are good or whether we're going to drink deep today, uh, we will meet with you, and you'll find delight in our presence as we enjoy yours. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In his uh, just masterful book called The Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster writes these words uh, of prayer. He says, to pray is to change. 
Prayer is the central avenue God uses to change us. If we're unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. To pray is to change. And, and Foster offers us this really beautiful encouragement not only toward transformation and the power prayer has to enter us into transformation, but also serves as a really, really nice litmus test of sorts that, hey, when I'm not praying, when, I, when I'm not finding myself in prayer, that may very well reflect my unwillingness to be transformed in that time of my life. Oswald Chambers in his little devotional utmost for his highest. Some of you probably were given that at Christmas time as little children. I know I was given about six copies by my grandma and a couple of them sit on my shelf to this day. Beautiful. Uh, Oswald writes uh, this, that prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. We don't prepare for the work through prayer. Prayer is the work. Amidst all of the ups and downs of 2020, remember that? Yay! Stu, stop talking about it. I will not. Because it's a, it's a good reminder to us of where God has brought us from and what he wants to change in us. Uh, and it's a, a lovely uh, little insight because uh, none of us got it right during that season. I have yet to meet the first one who got it right during that season. I mean, I was the closest to getting it right, but... Uh, <laughs> Mostly just because I'm the most humble guy in every room I'm in. Uh, see what I did there? Okay. Amidst all the, all the mess of 2020 and navigating the unknown waters of a global pandemic, one of the other things going on uh, in the background and sometimes the foreground of the life of our church, not the universal church, but our church, was our dear friend Tanner Blumel, who was suffering from seizures. Um, He'd always been a healthy kid. He's grown up at Disciples, and I think he was, I don't know, 10 or 11 when the Blue Mouse came to Disciples, and always had been a healthy kid, no issues, no nothing, and then he went away to college for his first year, and uh, in the midst of being away, started suffering from these seizures. And they came scarier and more frequent uh, as time went on for a good couple of years, is my recollection. And so during all that season, uh, like most churches, we didn't get the response to COVID perfect. And it didn't matter how we did it. Um, we were always doing something wrong. And there was a new email in many of our inboxes every day uh, outlining for us, and usually with a YouTube link of what we should go watch so that we could get everything right. And we were taking our lumps during this time um, and really trying as best we could. But the discussions of Tanner and the seizures kept finding themselves to the forefront of our discussions as we had moved all of our leadership team meetings from in-person onto Zoom. And, and we were all sort of in, in various levels of lockdown of our lives. And we were meeting over Zoom and the discussions of Tanner would come up often. And truth be told, I, I don't really know if Tanner's health issues would have risen to the level of priority and centrality in our discussion had it not been for this bloody pandemic going on and just the desire to talk about something that wasn't that, right? And in those ways, it seemed like 
our life as a church was following the flow and the development of Jesus's, uh, I'm sorry, James's letter to the church all those years ago. Some, some in our church were wrestling for power, just like they were in James's day, and, and others were focused on self-preservation. Many were just trying to enjoy a quiet season. Shh, be quiet, I'm getting a little break. No more youth soccer for a little while, and I can have my nights back. And, and then there were others of us, like me, who were just crushed that nothing seemed to make anybody happy. And we were all a little bit of a mess. And so the joy of common ground around something that we all agreed upon was really unifying during a pretty disunifying and dividing time. And so anytime Tanner would come up, we would pray and we were excited about it. And so uh, through the course of that season, we decided to go to the Blue Mill's house and pray over Tanner and do exactly as James instructs here and anoint him with oil and pray. We didn't know what would happen and how it would go and I'm probably the least charismatic of our leadership in some ways, having come from a very evangelical conservative background and yet um, holding the scriptures in high regard and going, well, it says pray and anoint with oil. Let's, let's do it. Um, and so we arrived at the Blue Mel's house pretty solemn and the mood was pretty sober. Tanner's dad, Jason, who some of you know, had been a worship leader around here for a good number of years prior to that. And so as we gathered in this house, for some of us, the first time we had been with other people in a closed environment in months, very literally. And so there was the anxiety of germs floating around and, and Jason pulls out a guitar sort of impromptu and starts leading songs. And there were some of us who were pretty nervous and, and literally I've heard stories of uh, we're singing around in this room and all people could see were like little cartoon character germs floating around like and just imagining all that song and all that spit and getting sick and they just couldn't get it out of their head that that's what was going on and and there were others in that very room during that time of worship singing songs to and for Jesus who all they could think about were the virtual punches they were throwing at a governor in that moment by defying his orders and they felt enlivened at the thought that they were sticking it to the governor. But we were all taken in those minutes with a tenderness and a restlessness and an earnestness and a shared unity around praying for our friend who is suffering. And somehow all the bouncing germs and all the uh, social commentary about a governor and all the self-preservation and steam seeking kind of fell away in those moments. And really what mattered in that moment was we're going to pray over our friend and we're going to carry this burden with this family who we love who are suffering on their own. We didn't get it perfect, but boy, did we pray that night. We prayed for a while and we, we anointed Tanner with oil. And, and at the end of it, I remember uh, everybody kept looking at me as the leader to end it. And I'm like, I'm not the charismatic. Leader. I don't know. Like, how do you even end that? Uh... Amen? I don't know. What, what, do, what do y'all do now? You know, like I, there's, you know, and I wasn't trying to make fun. I just, I literally didn't know, like, how do you wrap up a healing service? Um, and my inclination, because I'm like me, was to ask Tanner. So like, are you healed? Like we just prayed for healing. It would seem reasonable to ask him heal, but I'd had enough conversations with Greg over the years and others like him who had been prayed for that people would heal and then ask, and it's like, what question? Why, what am I supposed to do? What is Tanner supposed to do with that? I don't know if I'm healed. 
And so I didn't ask the question because I, I didn't think that that was going to put love on him. And so we just kind of went, all right, well, uh, it's been a good time. Catch you later. I don't know. There was to be a fairly invasive medical procedure that was coming up in a couple of weeks. And my recollection is that's sort of what spurred on the prayer time was that they were headed down to Stanford to have this um, invasive procedure done. And so um, that sort of initiated our desire to pray. So they went to Stanford and they, they had gone through every medical test. And I, man, I remember meeting with Jason and he would tell me, now we're trying this and now we're trying that. And there were even times... Uh, where some of the things they were trying, they felt even maybe a little, not embarrassed, but a little bit like, what are we doing here? And, and as a fellow dad, I'm like, you're going to do everything you know to do. You're just going to throw everything out it you can, right? Well, we prayed, and then like weeks passed, and then months passed, and people would ask me, has he had a seizure? And I was like, I, I don't, you know, it's a good question. I don't think so. And if my recollection is correct, and don't quote me on this, I know it's being recorded, so you can send me corrections if you so desire, but I don't think he's had a single seizure since. I think that, that was the end of him. And, and this much I know for sure is he's highly functioning again. Yeah. Got his driver's license back. He's, he's going to school again. He's teaching guitar. It's like God did a thing through our prayers. And what he did there, we'll never know this side of heaven, but he didn't do nothing. Something happened in that room. And we got to play a little part in the kingdom picture. We had been in their home. Something had happened in our midst that like mattered in the universe. And we were all thinking about praying for him a little bit more often in the weeks that followed. And, and we were carrying this burden together and it had changed us all in some pretty significant ways. You see, prayer is the work. I don't remember what songs we sang that day. I don't remember. There was no sermons. We just prayed our hearts out. And when we ran out of words and oil, we said, well, I guess, I guess we're done. James reminds us that we can do all the planning for a life in Christ. And we can do all the excavating of a, of a bad language and, and the tongue that so hurts people. And we can, we can put our faith in Christ and then we can pour the concrete of drawing close to God. But if we don't fill the pool with water and enjoy our life in Christ, what a shame to ascribe the name of Jesus to our life. And prayer is the water in the pool. Shift our attention now to these last few verses in this discussion of Elijah. It says, verse 17, Elijah was a human as we are. Elijah was as human as we are. I think for some of us that needs to set in. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield crops. You see, James is doing here what you and I do all the time. And if you've been married a long time or been have kids that are getting older or any long-lasting relationships, we have these little shorthands that we use that, that 
Throw us back to a time before and help us remember what life was like then. And, and even in a spiritual sense, we, we do these things. And James is doing this for us. He's saying, remember Elijah. He's just as human as the rest of us. But remember what happened when Elijah prayed. Remember what God did in those moments. There's very few people in the Old Testament that had so much transformation around them when they prayed as Elijah. Over and over and over again. I've just jumped to 1 Kings chapter 17 in my head. Elijah prays as James reminds us that there would be no rain. And so God sends him down to a brook and ravens bring him food by day and he drinks from the brook every night until the brook dries up and God provides his every need. So when the brook dries up, he goes into a village where he finds a widow gathering sticks for a fire. And he he says to her, do you have any bread to feed me? She goes, sir, I don't have any bread at all. In fact, I'm gathering sticks and I've got just a little bit of flour left in a container and a little bit of oil in the bottom. And my son and I were planning to bake the last little bit of bread that we have. And then we're just going to lay down and die. It's real news. First Kings 17. And what does Elijah say? Oh, geez. Wow. You're really up against it. God bless you. No, he says, give me some of your bread. He says, God's going to provide for you. He's never left us hanging. He's going to provide for you. And for many days, Elijah stays with them and they never run out of bread. And and then the son dies. Remember this in the story? The son dies. He says, give me the kid. And he takes the kid. I think he takes him upstairs is the text, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And he prays over him and prays over him. And then he, he revives this child through prayer. And he brings the kid back to mom. And she says, now I know that you're a man of God. And then in chapter 18, We find Elijah in the third year of this drought that he had prayed for, but God tells him to go to King Ahab because rain is on its way. And he goes up, I think it's Mount Carmel. He goes up and he he looks out and he sees just a little bit of a cloud. And, And imagine like no rain for three years. We call that summer in Northern California, right? And you see that first little cloud of that late June rainstorm and sometimes early August rainstorm. You go, oh, there, and he sees this little cloud, he gathered, and then the, the sky turns totally black and rain comes. And, and then the, the showdown with the prophets of Baal. And, and he says, great, we'll have a little contest and you, you put yours on this altar and we'll put ours on that altar and you pray to your gods and see if fire comes and, We'll pray to our gods and see if fire comes. And then Elijah, and this is where Elijah gets into some weird territory. You don't tell this one in kids' church all the time. Right? Because he says, let's make it harder. And he he has his people pour water all over the altar, and then they pray, and then the fire comes. And And then Elijah mocks them, and he makes fun of them. Truth be told, I don't know what to do with all that mocking. And then there's murder. It kills everybody. I don't know what to do with all that exactly. Uh, But maybe, just maybe, this is exactly what James is referring to when he writes in James 5.17 that Elijah was just as human as we are. And then the very next words are, 
And yet, when he prayed, man, may that be the words that are tattooed on our souls. May those be the words that flow from our lives. May that be the language of our lips. I'm just as human as you. You're just as human. Oh, man, I screw up all the time. And yet, when I pray, God shows up. God does miracles. We can look around and go, man, there's so many things about disciples. We wish we're different, wish we're better, wish we're bigger, smaller, louder, quieter, whatever. And yet... When we prayed, that Tanner Blumel never had another seizure. And yet, when we prayed, our neighbor came to faith. And yet, when we prayed, that child was... And yet, when we prayed, that womb that had been closed was opened, and her name is Stella Bella. And yet, when they prayed, may that be the story of disciples, not only in our past, but in our present and our future. I find hope and confidence in the frequency with which Elijah gets to see the power and the healing and the goodness and the grace of God because he prayed. And it so beautifully projects us back and forth and forward to the teachings and the life and the way of Jesus. For Jesus prayed and food got multiplied. Jesus prayed and people were healed. Jesus prayed and forgiveness was experienced. Jesus prayed and temptation was defeated. Are you struggling like I struggle to make your life a life of prayer? Maybe you, like me and us, need to remember and yet when we prayed, and yet when we prayed. When, when was the last time? Maybe not when was the last time, but how about the next time you're talking with a friend about a difficulty in their life? Wonderful to say, oh, I'm sorry you're feeling that. What if we just, hey, would it be okay if I just prayed for you right now? Could we just pray? And we just pray over that. For Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed. Just after Jesus preaches those famous thesis words of the whole of the gospel in the Beatitudes, he carries on in that sermon that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, and he says in Matthew 6, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they will get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on like Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over and over again. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. Pray like this, he says. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come real soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
wish I had something more profound to give you or something. Uh, here's the simple, easy three steps. But here's what I have to give you. I have to give you prayer. That's the water in the pool, friends. What a shame to curb our tongue and to rid ourselves of faithlessness. And, and what a shame to make way for the poor in our midst. And what a shame it is to open our lives and our house for the homeless. And what a shame it is to raise up and support and send planters. And, and what a shame it is to take teams to Guatemala. And what a shame it would be to worship with all our hearts and to do all of that and yet not be a people who pray. And yet, when we pray, remember what they said about those Disciples with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. For everybody knew these men had been with Jesus. For they knew that these people had been with Jesus. Is that not the best compliment you, we could ever get in our entire lives? To, to get old and gray and for our friends behind our backs to talk about us, because they do, and for them to say, I'll tell you what, man. That Bob, he's human like the rest of us, but boy, when he prayed. Boy, when they prayed, boy, they've been with Jesus. Would you stand with me? The band's going to come to lead us in a closing song. And as they do, it seems only fitting that we should pray. So would you pray this prayer with me that I have read from the New Living Translation, and we'll pray it as it reads on the screen behind me now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing a closing song together.